0: Welcome to the Vinyl Approach, episode 17. My name is Tom Wilmeth. A music story from my past that always makes me smile has to do with a roommate of one of my college friends. When the new roommate learned that my friend was a jazz musician, he said, with great earnestness, All music is beautiful. We would howl with laughter about that line for many years. All music good? How stupid was this guy? This quote came to mind recently as I drove into Milwaukee, listening to some community radio. It's a diverse station with a format that runs from mainstream rock to atonal auto harp. Good for them. I'm glad the station is there to provide a wide variety of music. I tune in frequently, and if they are playing things I don't care to hear right then, I move on to another station or to silence. As I drove, it was clear that I had tuned in during one of John Coltrane's later recordings, a piece I recognized but could not name. Not only was the tune itself familiar, Coltrane's saxophone tone and style of playing is unmistakable. There are many who have played free jazz, but nobody else sounds just like him. The tune went on for quite a while, one long and intense sax solo. I arrived downtown and parked, wondering which Coltrane recording I had been hearing. I pulled out my phone and hit the Shazam function, which told me this was a live performance of A Love Supreme. No shock, Coltrane from what is now referred to as the saxophonist's Sheets of Sound period. I didn't think much more about it and took care of some downtown errands. When I returned to my car, the music was over, but now there was a one-person conversation underway. The announcer was agitated. By what he said, it was clear that he had received calls questioning his decision to play the Coltrane piece. That, too, didn't surprise me, but his diatribe was personal, attacking listeners who failed to share his views on the brilliance of Coltrane's saxophone art. It was uncomfortable, but I kept listening. Personally, I was glad he had played the piece. I hadn't heard any John Coltrane in a long time. It's not the sort of music I think of putting on very often, but when I do hear some, it's usually welcome. On this morning, I cranked the volume loud to really hear what the soloist was doing. Also, the sheer energy of this extended piece had made great freeway driving. So, for me, this live Train was a welcome surprise, well-timed. Not so for all listeners, which is to be expected. And some of these people let the on-air announcer know that they didn't really care for the music. That, too, seems appropriate. A community radio station usually welcomes input from listeners. Or it should. While I had been surprised to hear late Train on midday radio, now I was surprised and disappointed, to hear the tone taken by this announcer toward his listeners. Arrogance, indignation, and superiority melded into a rapid-fire verbal attack on those who did not embrace Coltrane. It was embarrassing, and it might be more than embarrassing next week when the station begins its crucial fundraising drive, asking listeners for economic support. I wasn't offended by the music this guy played, but I was put off mightily by his condescension. He addressed the voices of dissent by telling them that if they couldn't handle John Coltrane, they should go listen to Katy Perry. I like the hits of Katy Perry. I went to a concert of hers a couple of years back. Great show. I also like John Coltrane, and wish I'd seen him perform. I like the music of both, but would never confuse the two. I like pizza. Does that mean I can't also like ice cream? I would never mistake one for the other, but I enjoy both. That this radio announcer is free to play extended Coltrane pieces on his show is great, but to be violently dismissive of other forms of music is disheartening, especially on a station whose broadcast day is so willing to embrace a wide range of music styles. Community radio has the luxury of digging deep. Blues, punk, rap, rock... Of course. But later on that same Milwaukee Drive, I heard a different DJ play The Clash, followed by Stevie Wonder, followed by Jackie Gleason conducting a film score. Did it all work? Not really, but the announcer had the freedom to try it. And I didn't turn it off. Although I disagree with the way he handled the Coltrane criticism, I had a certain amount of empathy for this jazz broadcaster. In 1980, I found myself in a parallel situation. Once during my late night jazz stint in Anoka, Minnesota, I had a severe flu. I could barely function. As the night progressed, my condition worsened. In desperation for the 2 a.m. hour, I played the longest jazz cuts I could find. One was a 35-minute solo piano piece by Keith Jarrett, the other a 26-minute concert recording from Paris by the John Coltrane Quartet, a number called Mr. P.C. I had aired plenty of Coltrane on my show before, but nothing approaching this length. The Coltrane number ended at 3 a.m., and as the Paris audience on the record could be heard cheering, I announced this last selection and shut the station off for the night. I could go home now and get some sleep. The control room phone began to ring. I answered and was told that my days as a broadcaster were over. This caller said that he knew the station owner and was determined to call him in the morning to have me fired for playing this Mr. P.C. piece of junk by one John Coltrane. I believed the voice on the phone because he knew the name of the station owner i needed this job 1980 was a tough year for me although sick i was able to think on my feet i told the caller that he was so very right the situation i said was that we had been having trouble with the radio station's transmitter that night and i was instructed to play any record that was long so i could be free to watch the dials in another room i told him that or some such malarkey I then assured him that he had excellent taste in jazz and that the Coltrane piece was not a normal selection for our station to play, as I'm sure he knew, but was chosen at random only because of its great length. I concluded by praising this caller's astute taste in jazz. He bought my story completely and thanked me for dutifully keeping the station going. The owner was not contacted, I did not lose my job, and I recovered from the flu. I did feel a little guilt over suggesting that Coltrane's Mr. PC was an inappropriate selection for a jazz station, but I only said this to one person, and not in anger. More importantly, I got the record on the air, even if the reason was not particularly noble. While at that Minnesota jazz station, I had my share of unhappy listeners, all jocks do. But some complaints about my show were not about the music I played. Quite the opposite. I tried nightly to put together the best program I could. It was not unusual for me to play older jazz albums, sometimes from my own collection. A few callers were mad that some things I played could no longer be purchased. And true, some albums had been long out of print. Sorry, I wasn't trying to sell records. Just play some good jazz on the radio. lived in a city with a community radio station whose entire music format was jazz it fulfilled a specific interest if you wanted to hear jazz you tuned in that station jazz is a wide genre and this station played various styles it could never please all of its listeners all the time of course those wanting to hear the Bill Evans trio might be put off by Benny Goodman and those needing a Louis Armstrong fix were frustrated when the station played Anthony Braxton but the format was jazz and they were proud of it maybe too much so One night i was listening when a caller had irritated the on-air announcer who had been playing some later day miles davis a lengthy electric piece the dj reacted on air to the caller's criticism he defended modern jazz by ripping into the current pop music scene much like the milwaukee dj had this guy defied anyone listening to name him a current top 40 song that would be remembered in 20 years i had a couple of tunes in mind but wasn't about to get involved As his on-air diatribe continued, it became clear that this announcer had been drinking. His passion was real, but it was fueled by things other than a love of music. The harangue continued. Suddenly a second voice joined the announcer, one much calmer. This second voice wasn't disagreeing with the host, but was trying to diffuse him, with mixed results. Soon another piece of music began, a ballad. Calm was restored. When that record ended, the newer voice was hosting the show by himself. The outraged announcer and his music challenge were heard no more that night. I later learned that this passionate DJ was the station manager. Shortly after this, the radio station changed formats. Now, instead of all jazz, it played various types of rock and reggae and world music. Was there any connection between the outburst and the change? I don't know. Was this an isolated incident, or did this type of badgering occur frequently? I don't know that either, but I do know that the station's music format soon moved away from jazz. In my early days of broadcasting, I worked for a national public radio station affiliate in Cedar Falls, Iowa. It was there that I witnessed a couple of announcer-listener telephone battles in person. I was a college student in 1974, and as a freshman I had been hired to do a record show on the university's powerful 100,000 watt FM station. I was thrilled. That's a long story in itself, but one night early on, as I entered the control room to begin my show, the current host was engaged in a heated discussion with a caller. This announcer was an older student, a senior named Jerry. He had played something from the latest album by King Crimson, and was now responding to caller criticism. Ironically, the source of the rift between announcer and listener was a song called Fracture. Our guy was telling the person on the phone that he knew a lot more about music than the listener did and proceeded to heatedly recite his musical resume. The phone call abruptly ended without the mind of either party being changed. Jerry did know a lot about music, but he had the habit of reminding you of this. Frequently. I worked with another announcer at that station named Robert. He used a standard line if a caller complained about music. He just said, Better get out your turntable, man. Robert didn't get mad or engage with unhappy callers. Different tactic, same result. No minds were changed. Robert's response reminds me of Garrison Keeler, who I would watch field complaints about certain recurring elements of his Prairie Home Companion radio program. During the run of that popular NPR show, Keeler always took messages from the theater audience to read aloud on the air. Sort of an expanded public service message, humanized and localized. They were usually folksy in tone and topic, audience members letting their listening friends know that they had arrived safely in St. Paul. Others gave birthday or anniversary wishes. Occasionally there would be an admonishment that somebody back home should remember to shut off the stove or not forget to feed the cat. Keeler was good at this, and some nights these notes from the audience, each one brief in itself, would stretch into a several-minute segment of the show. Other times, he used these down-home missives as brief filler while the next music act was being set up on stage. By the way, Keeter's reading of audience members' messages to individuals technically violates the FCC's rules of using the airwaves for person-to-person communication. But I don't think the feds ever complained. But a few listeners did. Even some fans of the show hated these message segments. Hated them. I recall Keeler telling an audience more than once that there was a dial on most radios that allowed the listener to turn off the sound. He recommended that they look into this option. It was obvious to me that he was irritated by the criticism, but was dealing with it in a very Garrison Keeler esque manner. Most of the hosts' recommendations for his critics to get stuffed came before the actual broadcast began, but a few were given on air. I agreed with him. Nobody was forced to listen to Garrison Keeler read audience messages just as nobody is forced to hear John Coltrane play saxophone. Tune in a different station, turn off your radio, read a book. In 1976, during my own radio shifts, I received two memorable telephone lectures about song lyrics. The first had to do with the murder ballad Pretty Polly, which I had played by the Dillards. The woman on the phone told me the subject matter was inappropriate. I told her that murder ballads come from a long tradition of folk songs. She didn't care. Another person called me out for playing Jamie Brockett's story song, Legend of the USS Titanic. This was a lengthy musical narrative, big in the early days of FM College Radio. Similar to Alice's Restaurant in format, the song gave an embellished version of the Titanic's sinking. This caller told me that Brockett's narrative was frequently racist, and he cited examples from the recording. And that caller was right. I continued to play the occasional murder ballad on the air, but I could never again hear Brockett's Titanic in the same humorous light. So in this instance, I guess a mind was changed. In today's episode, I have brought up a few radio topics that I plan to look at in greater detail on future shows, things like Top 40 Radio, FM Radio, and my days with a Prairie Home Companion. But for now, let's start to wrap this one up. I said earlier nobody likes every type of music. I don't, but I am slower to dismiss things than I once was. So for me, I can't completely agree with that long-forgotten roommate's sweeping assessment that all music is beautiful, but after deriding that comment for 50 years, I now think the young man may have been on to something. This has been The Vinyl Approach. I'm Tom Wilmoth, and if you are interested in reading more of my opinions about music, I have published a book called Sound Bites, A Lifetime of Listening. A quick reminder that each of these episodes has an accompanying song list on Spotify. This has been The Vinyl Approach, and I'll see you next time. if you can hear my stomach.